0: Hello and welcome back to the Event Lab podcast. Coming up on this episode's News Digest, London slides out of the top 10 most expensive cities for business. Can we really trust online reviews? Sustainability and events. Too costly or increasingly cost-effective? And a new direction for EasyJet? After that, I'll be sitting down to chat with Richard Waddington, chairman of the EMA, to discuss the role associations play in our industry. Now it's over to our news team.
1: Morning all.
2: Morning. Morning.
1: How are you Sam? How are you Charlotte?
2: Really well thank you Ed. Good thanks, got breakfast anyway. It's Sam's breakfast that she had this morning. (laughs) Two poached eggs and you know, a bit of smoked salmon and... That's what happens in Hampton Court.
1: (laughs) Good start to the day. Lovely. So, I want to start with the news today that London has been turfed out of the top 10 most expensive business travel destinations in the world. Overtaken by Monaco, Basel, Paris, I'll be honest, I couldn't work out whether this is a good thing
2: or a bad thing. I think it's got to be um, a good thing um, due to the fact that when London's been competing against other locations, <clears throat> internationally it's, obvious, it's often been ruled out due to the expense of hotel rates, 24-hour, um, delegate rates have been a lot more expensive, um, activities are more expensive, so presumably due to the... Uh, Scenario surrounding Brexit and the weakening of the pound and those factors have obviously had a massive impact on where we now sit. Um, although it's not entirely surprising that Geneva is way up there as one of the most expensive business destinations out there, because Switzerland has become increasingly expensive over the last three to four years. So, um, and also there are quite a lot of decent sized hotels there. So. Not entirely surprising, but good news all round.
1: So good news for good news for London.
2: Yeah.
1: And Sam, venues Benies in London, are we happy about this?
3: I think it's an interesting one. I think that um, I mean London is still in the top ten in eco rankings. So in terms of the target markets that London's trying to attract in our world, in the meeting and events world, I think you know this is just one table of measurement compared to others, which are probably. Or could be argued that are more significant. I think in terms of you know the overall picture of um, GB, I think this is quite an interesting way because people might start looking at the UK and look wider than London, which I think is really important. Um, some research from visit Britain, uh, which was released last November stated that, you know, people have a real perception issue of outside of London, so actually, you know, with London being so expensive, perhaps that's been a, a preventative for other destinations to get a slice of the meeting's pie. So, um, yeah, I think it'd be interesting, but I think we should never just look at one table of, of scores to compare. Oh, but generally, vegetables.
1: yeah, generally good news, though. Do you want to know the other, do you want to know the top ten? Go on, then. Surprise me on. a bit. You
3: surprise us.
1: Uh, surprise me. We've got New York, number one. Geneva, two. Zurich, three. Yeah. Luanda in Angola, four. Wow. Bridgetown, Barbados, five. Paris, six. Nassau in the Bahamas, seven. Washington, D.C., eight. Basel, nine. Monaco, ten.
2: Yeah, interesting. I think yeah. the point that you made, Sam, about um, the rest of the UK not necessarily getting the biggest, uh, a big enough slice of the pie from the meetings. Perspective um, with all the transport infrastructure that's being put in place now in the UK and um, the train links going in between Manchester and Birmingham. I think that will change things quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're already seeing a significant increase in um, our clients wanting to produce events in the Midlands um, because they are they've got regional offices all over the UK and a lot of them have offices in in the north of England and so the the transport situation I think will make a huge difference as well.
1: Great, plenty to be excited about then. Positive for Brexit. Positive for Brexit, that's what we want to hear, some good news. Um, Okay, we're going to move it on to something, actually you didn't see this in the events press, this was in, it's always on BBC but. Kind of a slightly broader issue that relates to, <coughs> relates to the buying of fake reviews online. So this was a BBC Five Live investiga- investigation. Uh, BBC Five Live were able to buy a false five-star recommendation placed on Trustpilot, which obviously is one of the big uh, leading review uh, websites. Uh, also uncovered online forums where Amazon shoppers are offered full refunds in exchange for product reviews. Sam, you were talking about this earlier. Uh, and you said that you thought the events industry was really struggling with peer reviews. This this won't help, I guess.
3: This is, I don't think it's going to come as a massive shock to anyone that this is happening, but I, I yeah, I, I can't understand why as an industry we haven't managed to get a solid peer review platform, um, which I think is probably useful. I think there's pockets of it, and I've, uh, I'll back this back to you in a second, Ed, on why why you haven't done this yet. Because... Um, I think it's really important. I think we're seeing it in little online communities like the Delegate Wranglers, that people are, you know, they are looking for peer review within this industry. However, I think this is a really big problem. I think it starts, um, starts with this and credibility is uh, integral to everything that we do. And I think this is, this is a worry alongside some of the stuff that's going on in the world of um, social media influencers with some of these influencers uh, actively promoting organisations that are dishonest, I think there's a problem, and I don't know what the answer is. We need an honest company to start a peer review site. Ed.
1: Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose, I suppose, I mean, we collect a huge amount of feedback from from clients. We don't currently publish it on the website. Um, you know, we're constantly asking. Are uses what they want to see on the website, and the truth is, it's just never been that number one top thing so far. But generally, Sam, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, Charlotte, any any, any thoughts on me?
2: We, we collect an awful lot of feedback from our client base because it's the it's the primary way that we actually collect more clients. So, and we do publish most of it on our website. So, um, we're certainly not um, paying off any of our clients in which to submit those reviews. Um, I'm honestly utterly shocked by this when I saw this I just can't believe that this is happening although I don't know why I'm so surprised I mean you can buy anything these days there is you know no such thing as um honesty that people actually can put themselves as high up the ranking as they possibly can do by buying the reviews to get there it, it's quite extraordinary to me and, and it should be maybe perhaps monitored um, maybe there should be a regulation that's set up in place to actually establish how this is being, um, how this is being monitored. I think we still have a. I don't. I don't have a
3: massive problem with incentivising people. We have a. From a venue perspective, we have a real challenge. Or certainly, clients of mine and, and industry colleagues have a real challenge trying to get reviews from customers from uh, client events. It's just a nightmare. We've got great people like BDRC who are you know, who offer uh, money to charity for incentivising for reviews. I think incentivising is fine. I think the whole situation around the fake reviews is a real concern. Mm-hmm.
2: We, fun mm-hmm. enough, we don't have an issue getting reviews from people at all. Um, in fact, people are often forthcoming with reviews without us actually even having to ask for them. Great. Um, which maybe we're an anomaly, I don't know. But um, it does seem extraordinary that people would be publishing fake ones.
1: Yeah, it really does. I mean, yeah, I think people are very happy to to, to kind of, to kind of to give their views. Um, I guess it's whether the yeah, whether the suppliers uh, suppliers are keen to embrace it. I mean, I'm relatively new to the events industry, been uh, you know kind of five years, but transparency generally as a thing in the industry is something that I've really really noticed is is kind of completely different um, different to how it was um, how it was five years ago. Um, so. One to watch.
3: Yeah, definitely one to watch.
1: Um, so good news for everyone. Um, this is a it's a bellwether uh, report from the IPA saying that events marketing budgets are continuing to grow. Um, the survey, almost 24% of uh, surveyed marketing executives indicated that events advertising budgets have been increased compared to around 16% uh, reporting a reduction. Um, and the interesting thing, I guess, is is it's a, a Marketing budgets, the growth of marketing budgets generally had slowed a bit, whereas events as a proportion seemed to be growing. Um, Good testament to the work of the industry, right?
2: Absolutely. Um, I think the need currently, because we're in a a period of turmoil um, economically and politically, not just in the UK, but generally worldwide, that the need for face-to-face communication is getting stronger um, for greater issues needing to be debated en masse with with delegates. We do a lot of um, legal partners' retreats um, and they are becoming more and more important um, every year, so we're being told. And actually the spend is going up on these every year. Um, Also, they're needing to make them more engaging, inspiring. I think, again, the need to um, create... We were talking a couple of weeks ago about the need to do something different, the need for the experiential, I think that's got something to do with it as well, um, in that more money is being really to to be spent on creating the unusual and creating that engagement piece to the event, and that costs money, and I think people are prepared to invest in that.
1: Mm. And is the industry kind of communicating better the the value of, of events?
2: There's more talk, I think, face-to-face about the importance of, of that. Um, I think there are more, from what I've noticed, there are more panel discussions about, with industry peers about the need for um, illustrating the importance of events within a marketing mix and we're trying to become certainly more involved with marketing teams to actually really illustrate our value proposition within that marketing budget. So I think, yeah, absolutely. I think we, uh, Yes, I,
3: I think this is a good positive sign. I think this demonstrates that we are coming together a bit more significantly as a sector to actually explain the value of, of what we do in a business language. Do we need to do more? Absolutely. I still don't think that we are tackling uh, the conversation at C-suite level with these big brands um, because actually, although there's been an increase, it's a very, very small increase. So actually, rather than start seeing this, this time next year, being a decrease, we need to you know, certainly come together as a sector and be talking the language of business and business events um, to the C-suite executives. And then hopefully we'll be discussing this next year where events marketing budgets have seen a significant increase, because that's only going to be beneficial to us all. Sounds good. Uh, and on a, a
1: kind, of, um, it's kind of related note, um, just want to talk very quick, talk quickly about sustainability. Um, has been just seems things seem to be coming coming to a head to a degree. We had last last week, I think it was Theresa May talking about banning plastic straws in the UK. Um, UK next year. We, we held a brilliant um, uh, event. We held a brilliant event last week. Um, Charlotte, you were one of our fantastic panelists, and we had ITV uh, events talking about how important sustainability was for them when choosing a venue. Uh, brilliant interview with Selena Donald from the from the Barb last week. Um, you know, sustainability seems to be coming to a head. How seriously should should we all be taking it?
3: Very seriously. Um, I think I think people are rightly calling it the Attenborough effect, the Blue Planet effect. Certainly, from a venue perspective, I'm seeing the conversations finally changing. Now, back in the day when I was working at the Barbican, shameless plug. So we're talking in 2008 2009 we were having these conversations with organizers in terms of sustainable practices when placing an event with us at the Barbican and it just was not on the radar and it hasn't been on the radar um so you know congratulations to um to Blue Planet that you know that's shifted governmental thinking um certainly my MP is is someone who's extremely active in this I'm seeing a trend when I'm talking to my clients in the venue world I've recently attended an exhibition where they were offering free coffee, which is great, um, but the cups are not sustainable, and whilst they were too late to change that, that's definitely a conversation that they're having in terms of that. Um, we have to make a difference, and we have to make a difference now, and we are responsible as event professionals to, to impact the environment um, as least as we can, and I'm glad this is finally on the agenda. I hope this is you know the start of start at the beginning of us really taking
2: sustainability seriously I think one of the challenges is that um, as much as this is an enormous topic that's being um, discussed on a global level um, when it comes to the budget of a client a lot of clients still aren't prepared to pay for it um, because it is a more expensive route to take Um, and so it's an educational scenario of um, Of explaining you know what one can do in order to make events more sustainable but it's still a push to get those extra costs over the line um, in comparison to not having to really do anything at all and um, to continue the way that we're continuing we found that it is definitely still an educational process where people are actually really having to sort of you know dig a bit deeper in their pockets to pay for this more sustainable approach i mean there are certain venues very obviously such as the crystal or whatever who are you know completely sustainably orientated and if a venue is taking those those moves to make sure they're making those changes that's absolutely a step in the right direction
1: how often does a client come to you charlotte and say we want this to be sustainable that's absolutely fundamental to what we've doing.
2: being completely honest quite rarely <laughs> um, it's very rare i mean there are a couple of um, clients who have a strong sustainable policy, but whether they actually are prepared to implement it within their budgets to as part of the event process is a different pedalfish. Yeah.
3: I think i I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Sequoia has done some research with corporate meeting planners in terms of the most important things on the agenda and it's still not featuring in the top ten. However, with you know, the government backing and now these things, you know, being banned. I think also we need to recognise and we need to start going beyond the cost conversation because actually, from a venue perspective, if you're saving and you're looking at your waste, you're looking at various other bits and pieces, you can actually make cost savings. So we have to now stop that conversation that sustainable uh, practices cost us a lot of money because actually we can now see and we can actively demonstrate from a venue perspective cost savings which should be then passed on to our own clients so we end up stopping having this conversation about it being too expensive. It should just be a bit like we now have the assumption around Wi-Fi and various other practices. Mm. We need to assume and get to the point where we assume that this is part of what we do and this is, this is an acceptable practice.
1: Yeah, exactly, and I'm glad you shouted it. I'm glad you mentioned the Crystal Charlotte, winner of the uh, winner of the High Space mm. um, Greenest Venue uh, Award, the High Space Awards. I think we should celebrate the... Um, celebrate the uh, people who are leaving from the front. Of
2: course, absolutely.
1: Just very quickly, we're running out of time and um, I, I don't know, this has probably got nothing to do with events whatsoever at, at the moment but I just saw this this morning and I thought just had to mention it. So easy, EasyJet have moved into delivery. got easy food uh, <laughs> apparently. Are we going to see easy events catering soon? Easy conferences? Easy?
2: I'm just curious to know what kind of easy food's going to start appearing. Um, is it sort of Easy kebabs? Is it um, you know easy Italian? What's it actually going to be? Can you
1: do an easy canapé?
2: You could do an easy canapé, or over easy. I mean, there's just so many ways this conversation could go on like that. <laughs> well,
3: we're talking about judging the size of stelliots and stuff. Yeah, am <laughs> not sure how, in terms of our passion in this team around well-being, how that's going to be. I think we need to look out. I think this is a man that sees a huge business opportunity. There's been things like the Hungry Horse, and I think they've just um, they just closed, but there's Hungry Horse Deliveroo. He's seeing an opportunity. I think watch out meetings and events industry. Could it be easy conferences next? Easy meetings? Mm.
1: We'll leave people to make their own minds up on that one. And watch it um, time has flown. Thanks very much, guys.
3: Thanks, Ed. Have a great couple of weeks. See you next time. See you soon.
0: Great insight from the news team there if we do see easy meetings hopefully they won't be charging for extra baggage or extra post-its. you can find the event lab video that ed mentioned on our website eventlab.online or you can find the link in the show notes now next up richard waddington chairman of the events marketing association sat down with us to chat about the work they do and what's in store for 2018 hi richard thank you thank you so you. much for joining us on the event lab podcast it's great to have you on Pleasure, glad to be here. Yeah, so I was uh, I was hoping you could maybe tell the listeners at home a little bit more uh, about the EMA and and what you guys do.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So EMA stands for Event Marketing Association. It's an industry association that was set up in 2013, exclusively for the in-house corporate event planner marketeer. We're both. Inclusive and exclusive. Inclusive means that, you know, a junior member of the team can start, so it's great for them to come along and learn about the industry, what's happening in the industry, where the industry's going. Um, everything that we, every event that we host has an educational part to it. So generally, there's, a, there's an hour of content followed by an hour of um, drinks and networking, you know, venue tour, etc. Um, and the exclusivity is we you have to be an in-house corporate planner, so unfortunately, agencies or suppliers can't come unless they're specially invited as part of the panel or speaking or something like that.
0: Ah, fascinating. So, I mean, yeah, you mentioned there that there's that kind of inclusive side that you're there's a you're bringing new people, uh, or perhaps who are new to the industry, and you're you're kind of giving them giving you them new experience. Uh, I mean, do you sort of think that the, the sorts of things that the EMA is preparing, those kind of the, the new arrivals to the industry, sorts of things that it's preparing them for has changed over the years.
4: Well, I think part of the frustration from the, the original group of people who set up EMA was that they go to an event and you're know, constantly being invited. Um, one of the joys or the frustrations of this industry, you're constantly being invited to an event. Uh, Everyone's trying to get to you for their supplies or hotels and venues, um, and but generally it it was drinks. You know, you'd end up at a cocktail party, a reception, dinner sometimes. But it was it was all about it was just hospitality, and it was just drinking and meeting and talking to people, um, and you know, business card exchange. But no one's really focused on developing another level of content. So people said we have very limited time to go to things, and what so what we want is we want to learn. So stuff that you'll do with event event lab uh, is brilliant because it's it's more, it's content rich as well as you know networking rich. And so I think that's really important. And the other side is that the reason the corporates wanted their own association, their own network, is they're fed up to the back teeth of going to an event. And the minute you walk in with, let's say, ABC Corporation on your business on your on your lapel, um, the suppliers are jumping all over you trying to sell to you. And there's a big lesson for suppliers out there is learn not to sell. It's okay, And what I mean there is learn to have a conversation, learn to talk to people, learn to um, build rapport with people, but don't try and sell your services. Build that relationship. And then you eventually get the door open and you move in. The minute you try and start saying, this is what we do, this is how we do it, people turn off. Trust me, it just doesn't work. Yeah, so I guess, I guess that's why you've
0: got that kind of exclusive focus so that you can kind of keep out the excess the noise so that people can have those conversations without pitches and or trying to sell.
4: Yeah, and, and they can they also talk, you know, as as our group, when they come along, they we you know we talk with Chatham House rules, so um, nothing gets attributed to any individual. We write up our notes, we circulate that to our much bigger um, network. So we you know we have at the moment about 350, 400 members. A whole new strategy that I'll touch on shortly that we're going to be rolling out in the next few weeks, which will take us um, more nationally. But you know, it's all about collaborating and sharing. In the past, everyone's been very closed and you know wants to keep it within their own group, but they realize the value now of being far more open and more collaborative across the industries. Um, they also see you know enormous value in. Having those discussions with people, so talking about issues and challenges with venues, with suppliers. So you know all of this is talked about, discussed. You know uh, we have sessions on uh, legal and contracting Um, because again, contracting with suppliers. You guys know this that you know you're contracting the difference in contracts and everything else. And so you know how how are the big organisations doing that with overriders? So the smaller organisations are now learning about that through that collaboration. Um, you know, creativity, how can you transfer a venue, how can you how can you engage your audience more. Um, we're doing things around uh, GDR, GDPR, a very serious, very yeah. heavy at the top end of the, of the list. But again, the big businesses are, are, are ahead of that game. A lot of the, small bit, the smaller organisations are still playing catch-up on it, but I think everyone's sort of kind of in order. Our next event in uh, next week, as a matter of fact, is... <clears throat> is about crossing the line. It's an event we, we canceled a month or so ago because of the snow, but this is really about sex, you know, sexual harassment and diversification in the, in the workplace. We also we'll have a panel discussion on that. And you know we will, out of those discussions, we will collaborate with our members and, and help them develop their guidelines. Because sometimes, some companies have guidelines within their organizations, some don't. And it's like, well, okay, here are some guidelines, what you should be thinking about and the way that you should be reacting to situations if they do, if they do happen, unfortunately.
0: So I mean, yes, yeah, so you mentioned <coughs> diversity. Do you think the do you think associations can help sort of promote diversity in the industry with your bringing people up and sort of perhaps affording more people a networking opportunity?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, you hear you hear things saying about associations are you know are dead in the water and this that and the other. I mean, there's, there are thousands of associations, um, you know, in the world. Um, if we look at our industry specifically, then there's there's about 16 associations um, who, who work together and in fact we work together under the, the bbep so the british venues and events partnership um which i sit on the board of and you know that's where we talk together But again the associations have very different remits because they're focused on different areas of the industry um but you know association primarily is is two two or three different areas. One is at the top level is representing that industry sector in the bigger industry and being the voice of that industry sector, Um, even all the way up to government. So like BVEP now supports us, you know, the industry into government, the government realize how big this industry is. Um, But then the other side is about helping your members develop, evolve, collaborate, um, etc. So we're very, that's why we're very focused on um, your know, content um, and to move forward to our, to our future strategy. So over the last five years, EMA has grown up through um, you know, a small network running on a shoestring. Uh, we, we're very fortunate to now have got some money from some industry sponsors who give us the money which allow us to employ someone part-time to run our admin and everything else. Um, and we're very grateful to our venues who host us for the end of the day, um, and our members who you know who, who pay a small fee to be part of the association. But we're going to create, a, we're going to flip how we currently operate. And currently, we're led by our events So we hold, one or two events a month, usually a breakfast seminar, which is a sort of smaller group, content led, and an evening seminar. We're very London centric. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're going to flip it and we're going to create a new, build a new website, which is going to be very, very content rich. And it's going to have lots of information within there for our members, lots of information for, for the general public that can look at, look at it, find out you know, from, from jobs pages, um, to templates, to news feeds. So what's going, you know, what's going on in the industry within the member area, that the members will be able to collaborate and talk to one another. It post questions to the other members, which can be answered through on the website or through the app, etc. Yeah, so I, mean, if I was just, just going to pick you up. I mean, you,
0: pick you, up something you said, uh, at least you mentioned there was kind of so many associations. I think I mean, so I've been in the events industry just, just under a year now. I'm certainly noticing there are just you know, so, so many associations just, with, just within this industry. I mean, kind of what do you, how do you see the role of kind of associations in, in you know, kind of championing, championing their numbers?
4: <coughs> events is an extremely stressful job it's recognised. seen i think it's the third or the fifth most stressful job yeah. in the country
0: yeah um, big big topic last, yeah, last year's event live. yeah
4: so and and you know it's about helping each other coming together and giving advice now why try to reinvent the wheel all the time when stuff that you might be trying to do or find or look for is already there so someone within the group can share that knowledge and make your life you know make your life easier make people work more productive you know where we are is about events so creating events creating the network for our people creating events for our people to come together to to share and learn from Um, personal development so helping them develop themselves in their roles Um, lots of people get promoted into roles of of management into leadership they don't get any training we bring trainers in to help people at different levels of that to, to set standards to agree uh, collectively again, you know this is not legal standards but you know, this, this is really how this industry should be working and, and what we'll, you know relationships should be happening both from, you know buyer supplier side to you know standard operating procedures etc and you know one of the biggest problems our members have is they can't speak so they can't speak in public generally because of their corporate compliance regulations everything else but we as a group Collectively, can speak, and the, you know, the message to the industry then is: you know, the voice from EMA is the, mem- is the message from the corporate. event. Uh, so
0: do you think that's probably the most important role of the, of the association is championing the voices of the members
4: in perhaps ways that
0: they wouldn't, wouldn't be able to otherwise?
4: I think it's an important role. I don't think I don't think it's the most important part, I think the, you know, the most important thing um, we do as an association is to help. The industry evolve and to help the individuals evolve within that association so you know shared knowledge collaborating bringing bringing them together and creating those networks so create you know yeah creating a, an environment where they could meet and talk with one another both virtually as well as um, physically yeah so we're looking at
0: The way that the industry is evolving, uh, is there a direction that the EMA is hoping the industry will go?
4: Okay, well, I think I mean the industry since I started the industry thirty odd years ago, if not more, um, it's it's evolved enormously. Uh, You know, events are now about ROI and ROO and measurement. Um, You know, objective led behaviours. A long time ago, it was all about parties and events and celebrations generally, but now content is king um the experience and, I, and i'm a great believer that you know events are the new advertising so i think the b2b environment has a lot to learn from the b2c environment and also the b2e can also learn from that because you know business to employee business to customer business to business um, but the the whole thing around thinking about what that experience is going to be for those attendees. Why are they coming to this event? Or why would they come to this event? What do you want to communicate with them? What do they want to discuss at the event? And what do they want to take away from that? And I think the the extension of that relationship from an event just being an event to being an ongoing relationship through other, other forms of integrated communications and media so that the relationship is an ongoing relationship, which is segued by the number of face-to-face live events. And even podcasts and online, you know, we had a seminar the other night, EMA seminar, and one of the things we were talking about was communication and people being fearful years ago of doing live streaming. Events because they thought, well, if we do live streaming, people aren't going to come to our events, they'll just sit in their office and watch it. And one of the key things for our event is to get face to face time with our key customers. Um, and yeah, that's absolutely recognized as old hat now. And you, know, you should be streaming, yeah, because if you know, oh god, I'd love to go to that, but I can't go to that because I'm far too busy or I'm somewhere else at another event, but I would like to see that piece of content. So I can you know, watch that piece of content live, or I can go through it at a later date to watch it. <laughs> that still in, keeps me engaged, which is the most important, it keeps me engaged with that brand and that business, because they brought that to me.
0: Yeah, like for, especially for kind of corporate events that are perhaps regular events, if you, you build that interest for someone that couldn't attend, but then they, they're engaged and they'll want to attend the next one. Yeah. So, you know, building building audiences all the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a customer is on a, a on a journey.
4: Mm-hmm. An employee is on a journey. Um, you know, with your business and with that relationship. And it's about managing that relationship and managing that journey and supporting that journey with that customer, keeping it intact. Because if, if you're not doing it, somebody else will be.
0: Yeah, so I think just to, just to wrap up, what's on the agenda for the EMA for 2018?
4: Well, the, the big agenda, the big you know, strategic agenda for us is to launch our new portal, engage with more people, Make it more content-rich and everything else and continue putting, putting our events on. Anybody out there who's a corporate event planner, look us up, ema-uk.com, and um, come along.
0: Great, yeah, we, we can, we'll certainly include that, that link in the, uh, in the show notes below the podcast, wherever you're, wherever you're listening. Thank you very much. Great, yeah, well, thanks so much for talking to us. Cheers. thanks very much for listening to this episode of the event lab podcast as ever you can find links to most of the things mentioned in the episode in our show notes below we'd love to hear your thoughts on the topics discussed in this week's news digest and you can join in the conversation on twitter using the hashtag #EventLab. for more on event lab and to stay up to date with all that's going on including details of the next event in our event lab series you can go to eventlab.online if you have any questions or you'd like to get in contact with the show you can email us at eventlab at and you can follow us on twitter and instagram for a behind the scenes view as well as all the latest updates by following the handle eventlab underscore hq thanks very much for listening